my life now mean? How shall I now live? Because, because of this gift that we've been given, because the debt's been paid, because the price has been paid, because my punishment has been taken, how do I now live my life? And every single minute of every single day, we come back to that reality. And we say, Holy Spirit, inspire me, lead me, show me how I shall now live in light of such an amazing reality. When you're looking into the shambles that feels like your life, it's hard to see the possibility of coming out with anything good in the end. But as Pastor Daniel explains today, that's where Christians have a saving grace. And it's saving grace. If you're allowing God to work in your life, then He's working it out for a purpose. It may be that you'll only see the plan when you're on the other side of it, but it's a sure thing. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis 44, verse 14, with his continuing study entitled, Brothers. We need to get to a place where we're humble enough before God that we can say, you know what, I don't have it all together. I did it wrong. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Judah's getting there. He's getting there. He says, God knows. God knows our iniquity. God realizes. Now look at what happens in verse 18. It says, then Judah came near to him and said, oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asks his servants saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a child of his old age who is young, his brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. And so it was when we went up To your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me. And I said, surely he is torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with me since his life is bound up with the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad 
to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. Now, this is beautiful. Because now we finally have Judah interceding on behalf of his brother. Notice, this is all a picture for us. Because Judah is standing in the place of his brother Benjamin. He's saying, yes, you did find the cup, but let me stand in his place instead. Let me be a substitute. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? Jesus stood in our place. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, although we should. Jesus died the death that we deserved in our place. The Bible calls this, or scholars call this, penal substitutionary atonement. You got to love scholars. They go to school for a long time, so give them the grace with big words. Penal means it has to do with punishment, substitutionary. Jesus in the place of somebody else, atonement. That word atonement's a great word. It's really the word at one mint, slammed together. So Jesus stands in our place, receives our punishment that we can become to unity, to oneness with the Father again. And Judah here is foreshadowing that. He's saying, look, yes, Benjamin should be here based on what just happened. But my father, my father's life is bound up with, with this boy. So instead of taking Benjamin, please take me. Please take me. Now, I don't know about you all, but the reality of penal substitutionary atonement, the reality that Jesus took our place, this is what makes the gospel good news. This is what makes the gospel good news. Because Jesus knew that we could not bear the weight of the punishment that we deserve. Now, I know people, we live in a day and age where a lot of people, I'm sure people in this room, you don't believe that. You're saying, why would, you know, why would God hold me to account? Why, how could you say that I have not lived up to it? The problem is not with our view of humanity. We all know that we fail. But the issue lies on the reality of God's holiness. Most people don't realize how perfect God is. We judge ourselves on a sliding scale, right? Like I always say, it's like because of Charles Manson or Adolf Hitler or Jeffrey Dahmer, they throw the curve off. And we say, look, I'm not as bad as Charles Manson, so I must be okay. But God doesn't grade us on a curve. God grades us on what does a perfect life look like lived out from your life. And in that, with that standard, we all fall short, don't we? We all fall short. And so God needed, God needed, because he knew it was a debt we could never pay. God needed to send someone to pay it on our behalf. That's the gospel. To stand in our place. And what's interesting is that if you really think about it, because I'm sure there's some people in here today, you have an intellectual issue with the gospel. But if you have an insurmountable debt, a debt that is so large that you could never pay it, right? And you know you could never pay it. Like, imagine if you had a $16 trillion debt. 
That's an arbitrary number, right? So if you have a $16 trillion debt, anybody want to volunteer? Anyone can pay for that? Anyone, anyone in here? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? No, I didn't think so, right? But if you have that kind of a debt and you realize that that debt is insurmountable and then somebody rolls in who can actually pay it, is it illogical to let them pay it if they wanted to? Uh, hello? No. That's totally logical, right? If you have an insurmountable debt and somebody says, look, for love's sake, I want to take care of that debt for you, that is just plain logic. It makes no sense to let them pass by. No, no, no. I don't think my debt is really $16 trillion. It really isn't. Or, no, no, I'll be able to work it out. We'll tax people more or less. We'll do trade deficit. We have all these things we're going to try and do. We're going to work it out. Logic would dictate if you have an insurmountable debt and somebody wants to pay it for you for love's sake that you simply say, thank you very much. You live a life that says, I want to repay that debt even though I can't. I just want to live a life in response to such a great gift. And that is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news that humanity has ever heard. It's not good advice. It's not a new way to do self-help. It is the purposes and plans of God that we are not ashamed of. Because the debt that Jesus paid for us is so huge that we say, God, we can never repay you. We're just going to live lives of gratitude. And because you repaid a debt for me that was so great, I'm going to spend my life serving everybody else just as a way of saying thank you, God, because that's the best I can do. And that is why the gospel for thousands of years has gripped the hearts of humanity. A God so good, so benevolent, that he would pay a debt that we never could pay. That we never could pay. By letting Jesus stand in our place. And that's beautiful. And that's not the beginnings of the Christian faith. That's the whole thing. That's the whole enchilada, as we like to say. We never stray from this reality that what does my life now mean? How shall I now live? Because, because of this gift that we've been given, because the debt's been paid, because the price has been paid, because my punishment has been taken, how do I now live my life? And every single minute of every single day, we come back to that reality. And we say, Holy Spirit, inspire me, lead me, show me me how I shall now live in light of such an amazing reality, a brand new life. But what happens is if we try and think that the debt was payable by anybody, by good works, by all sorts of acts of self-contrition, then we don't think it's a big deal what Jesus did. But we know that it's a big deal, don't we? And this is, see, Judah's showing us this. He's showing us what it means by saying, listen, yes, Benjamin deserves to be your slave, but let me be instead. He's foreshadowing Jesus. Now, to move into chapter 45, look at what happens. And Joseph could, verse 1, could not restrain himself before all those who stood by. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. 
So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. That's a reunion, isn't it? Once, once Joseph sees Judah with a heart change, standing, doing what they didn't do for Joseph, now for Benjamin, he can't control himself anymore. He sends all the Egyptians out. And he's just there with his brother. Then he reveals himself to his brothers. He reveals himself. I'm Joseph, your brother. And they are certifiably freaked out. They're freaked. They're dismayed in his presence. He's like, no, no, I'm Joseph. And obviously they'd be freaked out because they thought that their brother was dead. I mean, they thought, you know, who knew what was going to happen? But know what I love about all this? Know what I love about all this? Joseph is God-centered. Joseph looks at his circumstances not through the eyes of the physical, but through the eyes of the spiritual. He doesn't look upon his... I mean, Joseph hasn't had an easy go, has he? He was in Potiphar's house. He was sold as a slave into Potiphar's house. He was good in Potiphar's house, but he ended up being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He ended up in jail. He did good when he was in jail. He was a good... In prison guy, he served the other people. When the butler and the baker had their dreams, he interpreted their dreams. But he was still there. In all of that, if some, I mean, if anybody in the Bible could have been bitter, it was Joseph. I mean, Joseph had all sorts of reasons, justifiable reasons for bitterness. But notice what he says. You guys didn't send me here. God sent me here. And you know why God sent me here? To preserve life. And brothers and sisters, that is a perspective that the people of God need to grab hold of. That in the trials of life, and trials happen, that God has a plan. 
And the reality that God has a plan is not a platitude or a plaque. It's not just some sort of way to have positive thinking. The reality is, is that in all things, at all times, God is in control and God has a plan. And that is why as Christians, we need to learn how to suffer well, to go through trials well, to realize that God is at work in the midst of things that we don't understand. Joseph now sees what's going on. He says, listen, God sent me here. And because I was here, I was able to get those dreams seven years before the famine hit. And we were able to build up all these reserves. And had this not happened, my whole family, Jacob and his sons, and all of their livestock, they would have been poor. They would have lost everything. They would have lost everything. But Joseph realizes that all this happened to get me here so that we could all live. See, that's the problem with trials for us. Because we know that hindsight is 2020, right? Looking back at it, it's 2020. But foresight often isn't 2020, is it? When you're looking into a situation, when we're looking into it, it's hard to see what God is up to. I was just thinking about this as I was reading this today. I was thinking about when my mother passed away. As a lot of you know, I've talked about it before. I was, my mother was 49 when, when um, she lost her battle to cancer. You know, when you're 21 years old and you're watching your mother go through chemo and radiation, I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal. And I remember when my mother passed away, I'm just, I was bewildered. I didn't, you know, like, what do you do with that? I wasn't a Christian at the time, so I didn't have a, a, an, an eternal view anyway. But I look back on that now and I say, God, you did some tremendous things through it. Tremendous things. But that's the beauty of being able to look back on it, remembering what it was like before and seeing how God used it. You know, and, and as a Christian, once I came to know Christ, I started to realize that, you know, as Christians, we should have foresight that's 2020. We don't know all the details, but we know that God's got a plan, that God's at work, that God's going to bring beauty out of ashes, even though things don't make any sense. God knows what he's doing and that God is good and he has a good plan. And I just really get the sense that we need to hold on to that. That for some of us, we're, we're teetering on the edge right now. It's so easy to be absolutely terrified looking ahead. I always think of Moses, and we're going to get to this in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel left Egypt and the, the sea of reeds was in front of them and Pharaoh's army was behind them. You know, and Moses says, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And all of a sudden, the, the sea parted. It was like walls on either side. They walked through. And when they got to the other side of the Sea of Reeds, then they sang the song of Moses. And I've always thought to myself, as Christians, we should be able to sing the song of Moses before the Red Sea parts. Because we know that God's got a plan. And that no matter how things work out, God is glorifying himself through the circumstances of our lives. So, brother, sister, going through a season, a trial, a struggle, let's learn from Joseph. Let's learn from the admonition of Scripture. Your circumstances are not happenstance. They are not the necessarily the manipulations of mean-spirited people. God's doing something. God has a plan. And God's plan is to preserve 
life. And not only that, I mean, look at what happens in verse 8 here. Look what he says. He's like, and now it is not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Wow. He's like, not only did God send me here to save us all, but he made me a father, a Lord, and a ruler at, while he was at it. Talk about some ancillary benefits to being a child of God. While God is working these things out, he is also doing a lot of other things. Things beyond what we realize. Things beyond what we realize. Now, once we hit verse 16, it's been a glorious reunion. Joseph is weeping. He's kissing his brothers, happy to be together. Now we pick up in verse 16. Look at what it says. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land in Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this, take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Wow. Not only are they going to go to Egypt, but they're going to Egypt in style. Now, I mean, you read it, you know, we're going to send carts with you. That doesn't sound all that exciting for us. But, I mean, this would be like Pharaoh sending his private jet. I mean, they were walking in those days. So bringing a cart for your kids, that's kind of a cool thing. But Pharaoh's pulling out all the stops. He's excited. He's excited that Joseph's brothers are there. And he's saying, listen, just bring them. We're going we're gonna to send our carts. Don't even worry about your goods. We're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of you guys. We're going to give you the best of the land. Bring everybody with you. Now, in verse 21, then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, And he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. And so he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. So Joseph sent gifts back home. To each of them, they got a change of clothes. I like that. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us in the New Testament. It talks about how we're supposed to put off the old man and put on the new man. This this word picture of changing clothes. Now, you guys know we live here in the Northwest. It's raining outside. And one of the things that's very cool, and I wish I grew up in the Northwest, is that when it's raining outside, it doesn't stop you from going outside and playing. So I love it. My son Obadiah, he's a little dirt guy. You know, and so when it's raining out, he comes and he's all muddy. And so what do we do? We just let him get in the bed in his muddy clothes? No, right? Jesus is... Today we considered how hindsight is the only place where we can look back and see what God has done. But as believers, we can have foresight, even when things don't make sense. 
because if we are faithful, we know we'll eventually look back and see God's Word. Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited. My book, Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives is available right now. It is released and God is using this book to be a message of hope to people who realize that life is messy, but Jesus is real. So get the book now. You can download it online. Go to honestlybook.com or wherever books are sold and where you like to get it. You and your friends are going to be blessed to get to read Honestly. I'm so excited about it. God bless you. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will come to the part of Joseph's story where he is reunited with his father and will continue to remind us of how Joseph is a beautiful picture of Jesus. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Brothers. Until then, may God bless.